Hey, welcome back, Bon Vivants, to the We Like That Too podcast. I'm Brad Jones, and joining me, of course, is Mr. Keith and Lou. Hey, and we're going to do an encore presentation today. Uh, one of our favorite episodes, going way back, episode number 12, with good friend Doug Frost. You know, we got to talking about a wine trip to Washington wine country. Doug is a master sommelier, master of wine, who opened Echoland's Vineyard out there. He's in the heart of Walla Walla, knows all about it, so... We thought it'd be good to go back and listen to uh, Doug's episode almost two years ago. I think both of us agree it was it was sort of being at the uh, the feet of Yoda. It was. Uh, we were so excited and nervous at well, the same and, time about talking to him. Coolest and, guy on the planet. And Doug is a real bon vivant in that he is an arts, music, movies, theater guy. And uh, speaking of movies, you know, uh, I want to say thanks to Missouri River Region Library because – with your Canopy card, you can stream and rent all sorts of movies and videos, some of them not even available on major streaming sites. Historical dramas, comedies, you know, documentaries, everything. So visit your local library, and we want to th- say thanks to Missouri River Regional Library for sponsoring the program. Enjoy the encore presentation of Episode 12, Parts 1 and 2 with Doug Frost. Hey, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Hey there, Bon Vivants. Welcome back. You are in for a special treat. This installment of We Like That Too is part one of a special two-part episode. You know, we took the podcast on the road to Kansas City and had the pleasure to sit down with Doug Frost. Doug is one of only four people in the world to hold both a Master Sommelier and a Master of Wine designation. But Doug's passion go beyond the wine world. He's a true bon vivant who enjoys all things relating to the good life. So listen in and learn more. And follow the podcast to get the second half of our discussion with Doug. We know you'll like it because we, we like, like that, that too. too. So you like bold red wine most of the time with notes of fig and raisin. You like a cold brew and pitching horseshoes. As the sun is fading You like football games And dishing out nicknames But Godfather's one and two But not so fast We've got a podcast We like that too We like that too We like that too We like that too we like that too. Hey, welcome back, Bon Vivants. We are uh, so glad that you are back with us. And this is Brad Jones. I am the co-host of We Like That Too podcast. Joining me, the man who has certified that everything is up to date in Kansas City, <laughs> our co-host, Mr. Keith Inlow. Mr. Inlow, we are not in the happy we confines of the Bon Vivant International Media Center. So this is the first time we have been on the road. We've gotten our act together and we've taken it on the road. And we have taken it on the road. So if we sound a little different, hopefully not dramatically different, but if we sound a little bit different, we're in a different space. Different space. It's cool, too. I don't care how it sounds because I'm excited to be here and we're going to have a great time. It doesn't matter. And where are we, Keith? We are in the presence of... Of greatness. He is our Yoda. (laughs) He is our total Yoda. But um, Doug Frost is an author. He is a consultant. Um, He has done 
we're finding out he has done theater. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. He's a movie guy. This is the Bon Vivant. Um, (laughs) But but on top of that, um, and that's that's cool. But he is one of four people in the entire world that has both designations as a master sommelier and a master of wine, something that I definitely wow. want to visit with him a little bit about. It's on the sheet. I think we're going to talk about wine today? I think we're going to talk about <laughs> wine today, ladies and gentlemen, at the highest level. At the highest level. Doug, welcome to the We Like That Too podcast. We are thrilled over the moon that you took time to, to be with us this afternoon. Well, my, my pleasure, Brad. And it's uh, definitely fun to be here. And I'm, I'm glad you guys are down here in our stomping grounds underneath the restaurant. We are at the restaurant at 1900 right. here in Kansas City. So uh, my reference to everything is up to date in Kansas City. We are in Kansas City. We are indeed. On a beautiful afternoon. Yeah. So, And we have, guess what? We have wines to drink and... Let's get at it. Let's do. One yeah. of the things, Doug, that you have really been a supporter of and is some of the competitions you have originated and support and judged at. And um, tell us about the Missouri Wine Competition, how it kind of started, what your role has been, and then we're going to taste the Missouri wine. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I've been in this business. It's terrifying to imagine, but, you know, 40 years or so. And I couldn't tell you precisely how long ago it was. I think it was probably 35 years ago I got invited to my first Missouri State uh, competition. And The, the it Governor's was, Cup. Yeah, the, what became the Governor's became, Cup. Became the Governor's yeah, Cup. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And, and it, was, um, it was pretty humble. You know, there was still some interesting wine, and, and I, I can't really explain why um, – for me, it was a foregone conclusion that, of course, there's interesting wine here. But but back in that day, certainly it was a bit more of a, of a stretch for, for most people. But having having done this more or less every year, I'm sure I've missed some years occasionally, but, you know, ever since, the quality of the wines in Missouri is fantastic. It's, it's you know, for... What makes me crazy about it is it's sometimes harder con- to convince Missourians of that than it is to convince, you know, certainly any winemaker anywhere. If I tell them I'm from Missouri and they're like, hey, did you bring a Norton? I'm like, no, I brought a Vignola. And then they kind of look at me and go, oh, cool. You know, I mean, there, there's this this um, halo effect, frankly, because most, let's say, California winemakers know it's a hell of a lot harder to make good wine in the Midwest with our, you know, weather challenges with grapes that a lot of times people haven't been working with for hundreds of years. Right. They've been working with for, you know, 10 years. I kid Jim Anderson. I said, there's there's two numbers that you have to know about, about Missouri wines. And he said, what's that? I said, zero and 100. Our, <laughs> our vines have to put up with zero and 100 degree heat. And I know that Pinot Noir is a snickety grape and all that. They don't have to deal with zero and one hundred. Right. So, so that's that's a free quote. You can use that anytime. We, you have to know two numbers in Missouri about Missouri wine. Yeah, it's, but. it's tough here. It really is. I, uh, I I certainly remember having a conversation about this some years ago. We were talking about Riedel, and uh, I, I won't name the person, but one of the winemakers when when uh, George Riedel asked, "So, what is the climate here? Is it a cool climate or a warm climate?" We all kind of chuckled because it's the old <laughs> what month do you want to ask? Yes, asking about here. Yes, it is. What day are you asking about? Then yeah. one winemaker who should remain nameless, who isn't much of a factor anymore, uh, piped up, "Oh, it's a cold climate." And we all kind of did the, uh, you've been drinking already today? Because we're just getting started. Come, yeah. come visit in August. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. yeah, no, we, uh, yeah. And the other t- tale I used to tell people about the, the trying to grow grapes here is that I brought four Zinfandel sticks back with me many years ago from uh, Storybook uh, Mountain 
uh, winery in, in northern Napa, and I planted them right along the driveway, and I lost two to mildew. I lost uh, uh, one basically uh, to, to the freeze, and then one, it turned out, I planted way too close to the basketball goal. So, you uh, know, it basically, well. you know, it's difficult to grow grapes here, I'm just yeah. going to say. There are four examples for you. So. so how has the competition evolved over the years? I mean, you mentioned that Missouri wines have certainly evolved, and, and I, I believe that to be true. I'll put it that well, way. Well, as Jim said, we've we've got about 125 wineries in Missouri. Right. You know, it's right. it's where I think I, the last I looked, we were 11th or 12th in. Uh, I, I think in, you're right. I think we're number we didn't. We correct. we not quite quite cracked the top 10, but we're we're close. We're pretty good. Yeah. Been 100 years since we were in the top 10, but we were 100 years ago. I mean, it, it's it's not a new thing. Um, watch it every year. I guess we all look at each other and and uh, some of the same people. Are, are there, like, you know, we were just talking about uh, Kat uh, Neville from, from Feast Magazine. Glenn Barjad has been there forever. Uh, uh, Bob Foster, who's one of the wine writers for the California Grapevine out of San Diego, is always there and has been for decades. And we all, you know, and, and the rest of us, we all look at each other and, and compare notes midway through to go, you know, what would you see? What do you see that's going on? And, and so I could say probably 10 years ago, we started to see the evolution of Norton into varying styles. And and so it would be kind of like, well, which style are you going to vote for? And now we really struggle with it because it's it's like there's, you know, multiple styles of Norton. Whether we're talking about a kind of a claret style, uh, it, which is going to be softer and and rounder and and drinkable, but still sort of asking for a little bit of age, or a big bold kind of international style where it's just massive fruit, just knock you over the head, or a port style, or a, even something lighter than that, even rosés and things, you know, all sorts of different styles that will happen. And where once it was like, well, this is that one good example of that style. Now it's like, oh my God, I have a dozen good examples of the claret style. I have a dozen, a dozen good examples of, of the international style. I, I, it's... It has become very uh, complex. Let's say uh, over the last five years, uh, Vignol has evolved, whereas five years ago we would say, well, Vignol is great. Um, it makes one of the greatest dessert wines in, in the world, which I'll, I'll stand by that comment all day long, um, because of its incipient, incipient uh, malic acid. It has, has a certain you know, uh, native tartness to it that means that it, it balances really well, even when it gets super sweet. So um, we talked about that, and then we'd start to see one or two examples of dry vignal and go, wow, that's, a, that's really cool, yeah. but it's unusual. Now it's like we have an entire flight of dry vignal, and we're at some point yelling at each other, you know, more or less the, the respectful way wine judges do. You know, Nancy, you <laughs> ignorant slut, how can you enjoy this version when my version is clearly the best? Obviously, you know? obviously you're wrong. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, as John Stewart would say, your mother's a whore. No disrespect. No disrespect. No disrespect. Your mother's a whore. Well, well, this may be an ideal time then to let's let's get into our wine early because this is the wine guy. Because right? that's what we do. And, yeah. and so <laughs> whether the wine guy's there or not, so that's what we do. We yeah. do that. all day if you don't start early. <laughs> we don't have <laughs> one bottle as our first uh, part of the subtitle for no reason. Um, this is a Governor's Cup award winner, right, Brad? 2019. It is a 2017 Stonehill Chamberson, and I'm going to let Doug talk a little bit about uh, the Chamberson grape because it's another grape that we have in Missouri that's um, it's a little fruitier mm-hmm. I think yeah it's a little drier it's it's dryish it's not maybe as dry as a Norton um, 
and I'm telling Doug Frost. I was going to say, I notes. thought you were going to let him describe <laughs> it. <laughs> I actually, I actually just wanted to see if I got a couple of them right. Remember what we said about how we're not going to try and educate Doug. <laughs> yes, Shamerson is just, I think, right now, and this is uh, definitely, uh, uh, you know, heresy. But it's the most interesting red grape in Missouri right now. And I know to say that and having just uh, sung some praises for Norton is wrong, but I'm sorry. This is just the world I'm living in right now. I really, really like this wine. And I think the Chamberson grape, it's been around a while. It's it's one of the progeny um, that was created in the aftermath of the phylloxera crisis, basically Phylloxera is this microscopic bug that destroys, it shows up in Europe in the, in the 1860s. It comes from the U.S. where it has lived alongside all the grapevines that are, that are native to North America for thousands of years. And so they coexist. Well, there's a, a different species of grapevine that's in, in Europe called Vitis vinifera, and it has not evolved alongside Phylloxera. So Phylloxera shows up courtesy of some, you know, shared vine cuttings back and forth between the U.S. and, and France. And within 40 years has almost destroyed the wine industry of, of Europe. Um, it, it happens pretty quick in some places, slower in others, but the bottom line is places like Bordeaux were producing 10% or less of the amount of wine they were making before phylloxera showed up. So everything's in complete crisis. We learn quickly, well, if it coexists with American vines, let's just plant American vines. Oh, we don't like those grapes, so let's just graft a European vine on top of it. And that's how probably, what, 90% plus of the world's vines are, are planted today because phylloxera has spread all around the world. Well, there was another way to do it. Of course, people tried lots of things. They squirted mustard gas into the soil. They you know, did, they flooded the vineyards. They tried everything. Wow. Ooh, I hadn't heard that <laughs> That one. seems a little harsh. Actually, I was, I was just in a, 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 in a wine museum uh, a week ago, and I found pictures of the injection needles that they use. They're like, you know, three foot long, and you squirt mustard gas in. It's like, wow. And, and it didn't work. So why are we doing this? You know, it's like, and they screwed it up. Yeah, exactly. Surprisingly, yeah. it did idea. not work. Well, so some people... People said, well, what we need to do, the, since we don't like the wine that comes from these American varieties, and these American varieties were, were, would have been things like Concord uh, or, or similar to Concord today, they, they weren't uh, happy with the wine there, let's crossbreed it. And, and then maybe we can have the resistance to phylloxera in the same grapevine that we can uh, utilize to make wine. And, and if you will, that's where Chamberson comes from. Accidentally, that's where Norton comes from. That's where things like Vignol and Cévaux Blanc and Vignol Blanc and all that stuff comes from is a, a series of, of breeding exercises starting way back in the 1890s. Um, most of this, like uh, Chamberson is one of the, as memory serves, uh, the, the Jacques, I think it's Jacques uh, Save was his name. We call it uh, Cévaux Blanc now after him. Um, but he, his brother, his father... Um, they all bred a bunch of grapes. Other people took them on, and, and eventually we end up with Chamberson. And Chamberson does a pretty good job, uh, but these grapevines are illegal in, in Europe. Aside from uh, one that's used to make Armagnac, you can't grow any of these hybrids and make uh, legal wine out of it, except there's one or two examples in England and the, this uh, uh, hybrid that's used to make Armagnac. Um, but it showed up in Australia, and it showed up in, in America and made some interesting stuff in New York, eventually makes its way here, and uh, there were some decent examples of Chamberson here in the 70s and 80s. Not much. Really, you know, for me, it was kind of like, hmm, I don't know about that grape. And in the last 10 or 20 years, every time I taste what, it, certainly the Chamberson flight now in at, at the Missouri 
uh, uh, state competition, we used to argue who would get it. Now there's enough great Chamberson that the two panels, one panel gets a really good flight, the other panel gets a really good flight. And then we make yeah. fun of each other. You chose that one. Well, ours is so much better. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, this is delightful. It is, isn't I mean, it? So, so walk us through, give us a crash course, and I know you probably get tired of doing this, but give us a crash course in how to approach and appreciate this wine. I, I think um, any... Or any wine. For yeah, the exactly. I think any wine um, deserves a little bit of time. So, um, unfortunately, most of us uh, are just taught to, to grab a glass, throw it in your mouth, swallow it, and go, yeah, that tastes good. And, and the taste good is probably going to be partly sugar <laughs> in many instances, uh, particularly when it comes to, you know, the Pepsi... Coca-Cola, you know, remember the Pepsi challenge? That's because Pepsi has a little bit more residual sugar than Coca-Cola. So if you give somebody two tastes, immediately the Pepsi will, quote, taste better. So, um, you know, that at least that was how the commercial went. So um, for me, wine is, is uh, benefits from a bit more attention. A lot of people will spend a lot of time looking at a wine, and certainly the color of this wine is, is really pretty and vibrant. It is. It's and nice. Purple-pink with, yeah. you know, dark red in the, in the bowl. But... I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm into how does it taste, how does it smell. Um, the the aroma on the wine is exactly what you would hope for from a Chamberson. It's it is got a really good. It's got nose. a great oh, man. nose. Yeah, yeah, it's like I raspberry. Mean, it, it's a noseful. It, it is. Mean, it's a noseful. Raspberry. Sure. Yeah, it's like you know, black raspberry, red raspberry, touch of blueberry, a lot of black cherry. It's just like this whole cornucopia of of fruits that have been ground up and and uh, and they're just fresh. Um, a lot of times, uh, particularly in the old days when, when people were trying to make really good uh, Norton, the belief was that, that the key to Norton was you leave it in barrel a long time. And, and what happens when you do that is you end up losing all that bright fruit, and it becomes more like raisins or dates or figs, and, and it just doesn't have that freshness. This thing is just as fresh as it can it be. It is. It's really fun. I do get the fruit, but there's something underneath it that's kind of – leveling it out you know it's yeah, not i it's don't not know so what sweet. that is either but it's almost like when they when they gave you the, like there's a shot of cassis there and the classic way to make a creme de cassis is you knew, use not just the the berries not just the fruit but also the skins and the stems and the seeds uh, pardon me the the leaves and the stems and the seeds and it's almost like there's like raspberry leaf in there a strawberry leaf in there or something like that it is an earthiness almost yeah yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's more like fresh humus, yeah, fresh soil yeah. i kind of like get that with Nor- i get dirty. that with norton's too yeah for i sure. get i get sort of a I don't know if there is such a thing as a as a real Missouri terroir, but for for Norton grape, it, yeah. it can but be a little just, funky, you know. It can, yeah, it can be you know sometimes a little earthy, sometimes even a little musty. And and the 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 thing about Norton for me is is I find, I'm, I've been talking Chamberson for the last five or ten years and taking Chamberson around when I'm trying to show somebody from you know another country or. Uh, like California, which is another country. Um, you know, I'm trying to show them. You know, I'm trying to show them uh, what's going on in Missouri. I don't take a Norton because they one they expect me to, right? And I'm kind of like, if you yeah. haven't tasted a Norton, you're on your own on that one. Figure it out. Here, let me show you this Chamberson. Yeah. Uh, but partly because Norton is so unpredictable to me, you'll take the same Norton. And you'll drink it one day, and it's like, oh, not a lot of nice fruit, and it's that you know that earthiness is yeah, it's just kind of in the background. And then you'll open the same bottle three months later, and it's like, wow, what the, now this smells like you know it's been in an old barrel, and it's kind of earthy, musty, and the hell, and then you know three months later you'll pop it again, and it's like, hey, it's fruity again. It's just and where Chamberson to me is a bit more predictable. It's what we call the art of winemaking. Yeah, true. But but one of the things that I do enjoy about just drinking wine is the fact that when you taste a wine, that's what it is at the moment that you taste it. 
I think there's something beautiful about that. I really do. I don't mean to get weird, but I mean, I think there's, there's an art in, in winemaking that when you drink it right now is what it is right now. Right. When I go back and I drink it 15 minutes later, it's what it is then. You know, one of the best wine tours we ever had, Janet and I went to Temecula, California, which is one of the newer appellations for uh, California wine. And I say new, it's, I don't know how long it's been, but they're still in their sort of developmental stages. Um, they've grown a lot of Cab Franc down there that used, that people, they sold for blending over the years, but... That one of the best tours we ever had was in a winery down there, and a young man, wise beyond his age to me, took a bottle, and everybody had their tasting glass, and took us out into the vineyard and did such a wonderful job of explaining just what Brad is talking about, his passion for wine because wine is ever-evolving, ever-changing from the moment it's picked to the moment it's fermented to the moment it's aged in the barrel, taken out of the barrel and bottled. It is constantly in transition and it's never the same from one second to the other now we don't have the, the palate to dis- discern always second to second that difference but certainly over periods of time how it always changes so i i, I love that tour it was just it was inspirational almost yeah i bet yeah. it was i and I, I completely agree i mean certainly it, there's one of the Arguments in the wine industry and, and in the wine community, I would say, which is you know kind of everybody um, who who has any interest or drinks this stuff, is what is the difference between industrial wine and wine with a soul? You know, and I always I roll my eyes at that stuff. It's like it's like you know that's kind of the stuff I hear from the the natural wine movement people as well. That well, this wine is an industrial. It's commercial wine. It has no soul. And I'm like, well, okay. For one thing, I can line wines up in front of you and make you guess which is which, and you won't get it right. So I'm going to call BS on that. First off. <laughs> but but there is this thing about um, you know that that the purpose of a large scale winery is to make a predictable wine. And and I remember uh, years and years ago, a, a, a guy who taught me a lot about wine. He's, he's since passed away, but. Uh, a young, uh, at the time, a young winemaker named Greg Upton, and he was the winemaker for Franciscan and Estancia. And I pulled out a 10-year-old, I, I remember it was the 85 Franciscan Merlot. I, I pull it out. It's like, you know, 1995. And uh, we taste it, and, and he's kind of looking at me like, why the hell did you bring this? You know, and, and I'm like, oh, wow, this was so good, man. You know, it's, it's probably not as good today, you know. And he just looked at me and he said, Doug, I didn't make this wine to age. Why the hell would you save it? And it was yeah. it was like, you know, a, an important lesson for me to learn that that every winemaker, if they're good at what they're doing, looks at their audience, looks at the audience for this wine and tries to make the, the, the correct wine for that audience. And when when it comes to, you know, kind of the bad mouthing that, that some particularly youngsters have about wine that, oh, well, this is a commercial wine. It's so predictable. I'm like, well, damn it. That's what it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be, you know, not to use a name, but to use a name. I'm supposed to be able to pick up a yellowtail and know what the damn thing tastes like, whether I'm in New York, Sydney, you know, London or whatever. That doesn't mean that, you know, for me, that's not very interesting because I'm, I'm exactly where you're at, Keith, which is, I love it when I pick up a glass and I go, wow, that's not what I expected. That's, that's, that's different than the last time I had it. And then I stare at it for a while and swirl the glass and do all that stuff and then go, oh, no, no, here you go. Here you go. Yeah, this is what it was last time. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, I'm like, yeah, except now it has that herbal yeah. thing. What's that, yeah. what's that herbal yeah. thing all about? They, you know, that, that, uh, 
that reflects a winemaker trying to bring out the most interesting thing they can. And it, the two worlds are not diametrically opposed, and there's no line between them. But but I do think it's important um, for, for for us, particularly us snooty jerks, you know, in the in the ranks of sommeliers and such, to remember every wine is being made for a particular audience, and we need to respect that. Well, I think one of my great wine stories, and I, I think this kind of kind of works now. We've got a great new wine store in Jeff City, Barvino, Matt, oh, cool. Gr- Matt, Matt Green. Got to uh, check it out. I don't we'll, know it. We're, we're going to talk to you about that later. Yeah. But you do need to check one it night out. he comes over and he whispers in my ear. He goes, Brad, are you going to be here for a while? I said, yeah. He goes, Paul with Pinnacle, sure. uh, Pinnacle Paul, uh, <laughs> he's going to bring some wine by. And I said, okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm with a classmate I haven't seen 20 years, a theater person actually. And so I'm talking – he comes by again. He goes, whispers in my ear. He goes, Brett, you gonna you gonna be around? I said, Yeah. I'm. Got, Paul's bringing wine. Big deal. He <laughs> brings wine here every other day. Paul had been to an estate sale in St. Charles, nice, and had picked up almost what a hundred wines. Yeah. The people there had no idea what it was. It was a bunch of old stuff right. to them. Right. You know what he got it for? Two dollars a bottle. <laughs> yeah. And so they start bringing this stuff in. And I couldn't help it, but these guys were like little kids at Christmas times yeah. 10. And they're bringing in and Doug, they've got, they've got Latour. Good they've Lord. got Petrus. They've got, I mean, Lafitte Rothschilds in there. Now you could tell some of these. Yeah, it's probably some not of these, cared for some of these you knew had, had done their thing. Yeah. But we painstakingly opened uh, a couple of them that night, and it was a really interesting experience because our palates aren't used to that. No, we not. don't know what that's supposed. That's a different experience <laughs> for you. You've tasted twenty, thirty, forty, fifty-year-old or longer wines. We have not. So, from an education standpoint, a wine education standpoint, yeah, it, it was, was fascinating to us because some of them, let's face it. You can hardly get it past your nose. Yeah. It was it was rough. But then, you know, that magic happens. You you pour it in a glass, you let it let it run around for a while, which it hadn't been doing for what, fifty years? Well, these were seventies. These were like seventy to seventy-five. Um and then we opened we opened the one and like the angels sang, and That's awesome, <laughs> but yeah. we didn't hit on every one of them. No. You know, you're not going to. We kissed a lot of frogs before we, we kissed. The but yeah, yeah, I told them. I said, I just want, the, I just, I just want the empty bottle. The bottle itself is is it's really the trophy. Is, yeah. is, is yeah. like yeah. is like the trophy. So anyway, that was that was a little divergent, but that was that was such a fun night. I'm sure you've you've had some of those where people bring something out and go, I don't know if this is any good or not. And you've probably had times where you're like, oh yeah. No. Well, <laughs> this it, this isn't any. Well, you know, it, and it is so unpredictable. I certainly remember a a Petrus tasting that I put together a gazillion years ago. And um, you know, I had found some some uh, th- there was a, a collector who was kind of, you know, had the heart and soul of this tasting. It was it was like 15, 18 vintages of Petrus going all the way back to 61. And this is many years ago, but still, you know, it, uh, it was, even back then it was rather expensive, but it was affordable back then. Things weren't as crazy as they are today by any any measure. Anyway, um, one of the bottles, the 62, I remember 
it's not as good a vintage as 61, certainly not, was not supposed to be as good as 66 or 70 or 75 or, you know, any of the other uh, hot vintages we had there. And the bottle that I got from one friend, um, he, he had had it uh, delivered, uh, or rather I should say he delivered it to the, the site early, and I get this phone call from the guy who's, who's uh, you know, hosting the tasting. He's like, you need to come in here and look at this bottle. I'm like, well, why? What's going on? He's like, just get your ass over here. We got to look at this. And I, I, you know, look at it. And and the headspace, as they say, you know, how much uh, it, the the wine seems to have evaporated right. or, or right. They've lost the angels the share, angels yes, they call exactly. it in 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 Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. And it, it wasn't too bad, but the problem was the cork had completely squeezed itself down into the neck of the bottle uh. and was hanging by what would appear to be a molecule. <laughs> I mean, it was like, oh, no. Oh, man. How are you going to get that out? Uh, exactly. Well, you're definitely not. <laughs> yeah. You're just going to pour past it. But it's like, it, yeah. you know, this wine's going to suck. I mean, it, at this point, it was. this had to be in the mid-90s or something like that. You know, it's 30 years old, and the cork isn't even doing its job anymore. It's like, well, that's a joke. <laughs> Guess what the wine of the tasting was? It the was, damn 62. Yeah, it, was like, am- it was amazing. It, it's just, you know, wine will do that to you. Yeah, just you about the time know. you think you know, you don't know. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. Hey, Bon Vivants, you know when We Like That Too was launched, we knew very little about what was needed to promote the podcast online. That's right. So we turned to Greg Arnold at GAA Consulting. GAA Consulting was a lifesaver helping us get things started. Greg is a small business owner who loves helping small businesses grow. He takes the time to listen to your business goals. GAA Consulting will custom design your website and create a digital marketing strategy to help you reach those goals. Every project is tailor-made to meet your small business needs and preferences. And Greg can teach you to manage things yourself or... You can hand things over to him, and he'll lighten your workload. You know, if your business needs help building an online presence, visit GAAConsultingLLC.com. That's GAAConsultingLLC.com. Custom solutions for your small business needs. Thank you for hosting us and letting us come to your restaurant. We want you to be able to tell us about your restaurant. Tell us about Tell us about this wonderful space. Yeah. Oh, this sure. is this is just this oh. is so nice. I'll take a slurp. You've got a I mean you've got a James Beard Award nominated uh, chef here. Uh, I think the wine curator's oh. probably pretty good. We will be back <laughs> when we can enjoy it. But, but uh, tell us sort of the you know how how you got here, what what the process was, how you built the wine list, what you, you know what your focus was on all that. So just brag on the restaurant a little bit. Well, sure, no worries. We'll be um, two years old come March, and uh, the the restaurant, of course, was conceived uh, a good year or two before it was opened. Um, the the restaurant was was conceived by the Carbank brothers, I, I guess I should say, or at least family, in so much as um, they have built this series of, or, or refurbished this series of buildings from the 60s, and then created some performance spaces, because they are very into classical and, and uh, contemporary music and jazz, etc. And they had these performance spaces, and eventually they got tired of answering the question, this was amazing, where can I go get something to eat? You know, <laughs> it's like, they finally went, oh, hell with this, let's just build a restaurant on yeah. top of the performance how about How about here? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> They, they, I, I will admit freely that they approached me and I kind of said that I don't need a job. I have, that, that is to say, I have a bunch of jobs already. Right. Not one, but five or six. And, uh, and so I was like, you know, look, I'll help you get open and maybe I can help you find some people, but I, you know, there's no way I can do some, some work with you. And then they hired the, the rest of the, the staff, which was essentially Linda Dewar, who I'd known for many years and, and actually, 
really became enamored of her food when she was cooking for Jimmy Francais, uh, of JJ's, you know, the best, arguably, not arguably, inarguably, the best wine list in town. Uh, and, and Frondizi's, when he opened that place up, which was the former venue, my single favorite restaurant in Kansas, in mm-hmm. the Midwest, actually, for, for a time. And, um, and so Linda, when, when they hired Linda, I was like, wow, ooh, I better pay attention here. And then they hired a gentleman named uh, Keith Goldman as the GM. And I first met him when he was a, a busboy at the aforementioned venue. And he has had definitely blossomed into, I think, without question, one of the great restaurateurs of the Midwest as well. So between Linda and Keith, I'm like, okay, I'm in, I'm in, you know, let's do this. So I'm not here much, but I'm, I'm the quote unquote beverage boss. Uh, or as I prefer to regard, I'm the beverage mismanager. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, cause that's what I do. But, I know better than that. Yeah. I doubt that well, that's the case. We, you know, the good part is we hired a really talented, uh, uh, bar staff, um, led by Arturo Rivera Felici and, and, a, a, another group, a, a, you know, several other people who are just incredibly talented. Uh, Zach Snyder and, and Ryan Magnuson and, and Charlie, well, Charlie is actually, uh, I, I just say, come on by, try some of their cocktails, hang out at the bar. Uh, even if we can't do bar seating anymore, you can still sit by the bar, you yeah. know, just outside the door, right by the bar. Um, they're, they're pretty amazing. And so, um, I freely tell people that the coolest thing at the restaurant's the food. The second coolest thing at the restaurant is the cocktail scene and, and, uh, and the service and the wine is kind of a, a you know, impoverished fourth there. But I, I do my best and, um, it, it's it's fun putting together the wine list. I I tried to keep it relatively uh, simple because I I did the you know one thousand five hundred wines at the American restaurant decades ago, and and I no longer really care about that. For me now, it's it's like curate the wines for me, so I don't have to leaf through a book. My wife gets really ticked off when I get a wine list that looks like an encyclopedia because she knows I'm gone. It's over. I'm just going to be flipping through this going, oh, wow, oh, look at this. Oh, honey, look at this. She's like, just give me a martini and shut up, you know. It's like, so, um, so it's a shorter list, you know, about 60 wines on the wine list, about 60 on the reserve list, and, and, and that's kind of it. Uh, but we do probably have about 20 wines by the glass because I think it's important to have a bunch of different wines oh, by the glass nice. so you can yeah. try different stuff. And I try to mix it up. And, and uh, it, it really is always – I always I certainly want to remember that the purpose of a wine and a wine list program is to make the food taste better, to make the chef look better. That's your job because – most people don't go to a restaurant to have a glass of wine. They go there to eat. They don't? I don't know. I know. That's, like, that's why I said most that's people. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I, I know. There's two exceptions in front of me, <laughs> but aside from that. What, we do uh, believe in good food. Don't kid no, yourself. I was going to say, wives, would you care to provide a, yeah, a, a we, secondary source on you, this? Yes, you don't the, have to look the, the at staff. very far to see that <laughs> yes. we do care about food. Yeah. But, um, well, so describe the cuisine then. If you're, if you went, if you approached the wine list from the perspective of the food offerings, describe what uh, the chef's approach was food-wise. Well, I, I knew Linda's food pretty well because after Frondizi's, then she went to a private club here that I would do events at called the River Club, and and so I've always known Linda's food to be not showy but nuanced. Um, you know, more about elegance than it is about bombastic flavors or crazy stuff on the plate or painted plates or any of the, the other, you know, silly uh, uh, trends that we've seen over the years. Right. So the, the main thing really was to have a wine list, for me, the main thing was to have a wine list that didn't try to overwhelm the food, that instead could highlight the food, could could uh, make the food stand forward. And, and that appeals to me anyway because I tend not to like the big, powerful, crazy, high-alcohol wines that have been 
popular for the last 20 years or so. I'm, I'm kind of not that guy. And, and so um, Linda's food appealed to me in that, that sense as well, that I could bring in things that I think are a bit overlooked. I always I, – it, it's funny – uh, there's a buddy of mine and I who've played this game for decades that will get handed a thousand wine wine list and, and we'll bet people at the table that without talking to each other, we can pick the same five wines. And, and they're like, that's ridiculous. And I'm like, we will do three out of five. I'll pick five. He'll pick five and three of them will be in common, if not more. And they're always like, how does, how is that possible? And so well, one, cause we're geeks. So we know what the cool, <laughs> you know, what the cool brand is that we haven't seen before. But truthfully, because we look at price. Come on, man. Everybody looks at price, you know, and, and you'll be like, oh, that's too expensive. Oh, that's a lot of money. Oh, okay. And then you'll find that wine where you go, oh, yeah, that's a total steal. That's the one I want. And, you know, if you, don't, if you know all this stuff and you can't figure out how to save some money, what the hell good are you? The, yeah. su- the sweet spot. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, so, so I look at stuff well, like that. Well, I want it to be a good value. That's you know, great. Uh, we we definitely come back up here. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, we are. Yeah. We are definitely going to. Yeah. First of all, we want to thank you for for all the the good things that you've said about Missouri wines, and I think the industry's doing well. We love Jim. Um, I'm always I'm always kind of proud of our two little factoids about Missouri wine, other than the zero one hundred thing. Is the fact that we save France's ass? Uh, I, 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 I get, yeah. I get a certain amount of glee over that. You know, it was our, wasn't not, it was our, it was our rootstock. That, the the that cheesy surrender monkeys, those people. That, oh, sorry, I just <laughs> thought I'd be completely inappropriate here. Yeah, well, that's that's. <laughs> we, could, we could edit that out. Yep. <laughs> or not? It's, it's, or not? You know, yeah. actually, I, I always point out. But then there's World War One as well, where we really weren't that much help, and they were kind of, you know. <laughs> On their own, so it depends on everything. And, and two, and two, right. yeah. and two. And if it weren't for the Russians, we'd all be speaking German and right then, now. Anyway, yeah. so. and, then, and then the Missouri, and then Missouri uh, rootstock. That's three. Yeah. So, yeah. so no. It's I think it's true. an interesting part of, of wine history, for sure. That that it came from here. That you know, kind of saved them when they were they were. It was phylloxera. Was yeah, absolutely. So phylloxera, um, as, as we talked about, it, you know, it destroys vines and it, it coexists with American vines. And so there was a group of guys, a group of men here who were scientists and agronomists and such that recognized that um, what you could do is, is graft. And it was a fairly well understood idea. It was something that people had done before, but it was very difficult to convince the French, surprise, surprise. That they needed help? That they, yeah, that, that <laughs> it was gonna work. You know, they just weren't quite into that. And, and there were a collection of individuals, both here and in, in Texas, like, uh, Thomas Volney Munson, who briefly was here and then went to Texas. He was shooting a lot of vines there. But, you know, there is a statue in southern France thanking, uh, people like, like, uh, Charles Valentine Riley and, and, uh, and T.V. Munson and others, you know, basically thanking the Missouri and Texas and maybe to a degree the Arkansas wine industries for getting up, for breeding tens of thousands of rootstock, uh, of roots uh, and sending it off to France and, and saving the industry, not just in France, but eventually in Italy and Spain and Germany and Austria right. and all these other Around countries the world, as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's a, it, it's a, it's certainly, um, it, it's a, amazing. Actually, I just came back from Herman. Um, one of the really interesting stories of, of we love Herman. Yeah, Herman's fascinating. <laughs> the Philadelphia Settlement Society that that uh, tried to move uh, Germans into that area and, and got them to to plant vines and, and grow grapes there. The um, there was an individual there named uh, George uh, Gerg Hussmann, you know, and, and Hussmann, as we just call him today, he built a farm right on the the river right there, and um, it's still there in Herman. 
And Jim Deerberg and the, the whole Deerberg family mm-hmm. of Herman Hoff fame and, right. and such, they have refurbished the, the barns and the house. It's nice. It's amazing. It really I mean, looks it's like, good. It's well yeah. over a dozen buildings, and it, it's it's remarkable. I mean, it's it's his winery, and it's his distillery, and it's his brewery, and it's his uh, you know dairy house, and it's his smokehouse, and it's, and it's right on the water. It's just crazy how incredible it is. And Hussman, if a lot of people don't know it, when he finally abandoned Missouri, went out to California and helped found the California wine industry. So in, in many ways, Hussman is one of these foundational figures in American wine, not just wow. in Missouri wine. Right. That's cool. So, you know, there's there's a lot of history to it all. Really this is. is. The second thing is, and I want to know if this is on the, the your sommelier test. Yes. Which we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, is the question of where was the very first AVA um, granted? Well, this is one of my favorite questions to answer <laughs> because I took when I took the advanced exam, and thankfully the advanced Smolia exam, I should say, and thankfully I got through it anyway. I got that question wrong. <laughs> I walked I walked out of the room, and of course there's a you know candidates there, and they all you know we all start comparing notes, and we're like, how about that question? Yeah, they, oh man, I know that. And then somebody turned and looked at me and said, bet you love that, bet you love that Augusta question, right? And I was like. <laughs> What Augusta question? And everybody kind of looked at me like, you're messing with us, right, Frost? I'm like, oh, Augusta, goddamn. I I did not remember the very first American viticultural area approved in the United States before Napa. Oh, my God. Is in Missouri. So so that's a great segue. We've we've talked about your designations and, and your certifications and kind of walk us through what was your, how did it all start? What was your aha moment? When you realized this is something I can really get passionate about and I want to pursue, and then maybe a little bit about the pursuit of it and to to get where you are today with those certifications and designations. Well, I, I certainly didn't know diddly squat about wine. Um, I, it, like most people back in the 70s, as I was being a, a, a waiter at a restaurant here called Plaza 3 that's, you know, well, now, that was a really nice yeah, steakhouse. Was, yeah. yeah no, Is it still and, in operation? Uh, not really. Okay. Um, you know, they, they, they moved out south, and then and that just uh, closed down. I'm sure some version of it will yeah. show back up at some point. But the wine steward was a guy named John Scupney. Um, Scupney is well-known in, in California circles because he owns he and his wife own a winery called Lang & Reed, one of the best Cab Franc producers in the country. He's past Napa Valley Vintners Association president. You know, it's like, but he was the wine steward at P3, as we called it. Right. And I didn't know squat about wine, but I had had a couple of good wines uh, uh, prior to getting hired at that place. And within the first week, Scupney pulls me over and he's like, dude, you just won the, you know, the, the last two co- contests to see who could sell the most wine tonight. Uh, you know, what's up? Uh, how much about wine do you know? And I was like, I don't know anything about wine. I just like to sell stuff. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm out of the theater so I can mimic a guy who right. knows a lot about wine. Right. Make you know? it up. Exactly. Make it up. Thank you very much. And, um, how can you tell when a salesman is lying? His lips are His lips moving. Are moving. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, Scupney said, well, you want to go to a wine tasting? I'm like, yeah, sure, of course. And I, honestly, it was that moment. Um, we went to this tasting. It was a bunch of Bordeaux. I had had some decent wines, but it, it's like the scales fell from my eyes. Or actually, probably more accurately, within two or three tastings, I I'd sort of had my sense of smell turned on. I, I, I suddenly started paying attention. And it was, honestly, I remember that. Uh, aha is not at the tasting. It's it's later on. I'm walking into a room and I'm like, what's that smell? 
What's that smell? Wow. What's that smell? All of a sudden, I'm paying attention. And I, it's as if I had I'm, – I'm one of three boys, you know. You don't pay attention to smells, okay? It's not <laughs> well, a good idea. Or the ones that you do smell, you don't want pull to my finger. Bless you. Pull, yeah. my, they pull, pull my finger yeah, ones exactly. are good yeah. uh, when, you're, when you got brothers. Yeah. Dirty, so, dirty gym socks is not a pleasant Yeah, smell. exactly. <laughs> so, so it really was – you know, that was very much an aha. And Scupney is, is my first mentor. Uh, but uh, working in Kansas City uh, as a as – a, you know, young adult um, and and working at restaurants here, there was just and remains a really good scene here, like in most cities, of people who are enthusiastic about wine. But there, everybody was willing to share. Everybody got together and tasted wine together. We talked about it. We blind tasted each other constantly. So I still remember uh, the first time I sat the uh, MW kind of entrance exam. I was sit- seated next to a, at the time a well-known wine writer out of Chicago who had kind of famously flunked the exam five times in a row. And he turns to me, and he's like, so uh, so how do you think you're going to do on the exam? And I was like, well, I'm worried about the theory, but I know I'll just ace the tasting. And, you know, he just gave me this look like, I will kill you someday. For <laughs> just said, and I, I made sure to seek him out, like, you know, five years later to go, hey, Patrick, just for the record, I flunked the tasting first time, okay? Just yeah. so you know, I didn't – I got an – F on one of the papers, and he kind of grinned like, okay, I feel yeah. better now. Just yeah. so our bon vivants understand, there are four levels yes. when you go for your to, to eventually get your master's sommelier from the court. Correct. Correct. Yes. So it you you got to work you work up to it. Yes. Um, and you finally passed that in 91. Correct. You got yes. to the you got to the to the top of the mountain. Yes. So can can you give us just a a little bit of, because I think I mentioned in my notes, is 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 the movie Psalm? Is <laughs> it is it sort of accurate as to, or was it sort of? I, I grimace every time you? I think about that movie. Yeah, uh, no, it's okay. It, I mean, it's it's accurate in so much as that's what those four guys did. Um, it is certainly not accurate in so much as this is what I think people should do to pass the exam. Okay, and and uh, you know. Three of the four eventually passed the exam, but I, I think the movie had had chosen to um, show a, a certain testosterone poisoned side of the Master Sommelier program, you know, <laughs> and and so it missed the the entire point of the of the program and the examination is hospitality. You're supposed to be the greatest server of all time, at least for one afternoon, you know. And that's a and that's a part. Now, when you're talking about the test. Is it three or four parts? There are three parts uh, in the Master Sommelier, more or less at each level. So you have a blind tasting exam, you have a theory exam, and then you have a service exam. And the most important part definitely is the service exam. And that's the, the part at which, you know, you really want to show that you're a consummate server, that that you love this act of hospitality, that you're willing to, to, to uh, make these people happy through the, the, the vehicle of, of alcohol, you know, which is not that damned hard to right. do. And do Come you, on, do you, know? you, do you actually walk in and you have a table of, are they other master sommeliers? Yeah, you walk and in. And you have to serve them? You are, you're probably dealing with a table of I would some of the, pass un, out. some of the Just, unhappiest yeah. master sommeliers <laughs> you've ever met. There's, there's at least one there who's in a really bad mood. And you better deal with it now. Just looking to pick you apart. Huh? Yes, yeah. exactly. I, I, one of my favorite stories ever is a, a particular, I was, I, I, I was uh, a, a surly examiner at several times, and there was a, a, a sommelier who passed his master's at that moment. But I was just, I was not trying to be surly, but my job was to keep picking away at, at the answer 
until they either recognized that they, they just couldn't answer that question appropriately because it was, it was a question that didn't have a good answer to it. Or most of the time what they do is they start arguing with you. And, and it's like, well, that's not what service is. You don't argue with a customer. And, and I'm not trying to be a jerk. I just am like, oh, but I find the hole in what you've just said and, and the, you know, the, the illogic in it. And the, the sweetest, one of the sweetest master sommeliers of all time, he tries and he tries and he tries. And then he just gets this look, this frightened look, and he walks over and stands right next to me and says, sir, I don't think I can make you happy today. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and nobody laughed, but inside we were busting a gun. Because yeah. it's like, dude, you just passed. You just that's, that, I mean, that's what, a, that's what a, 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 somebody who believes in hospitality would do. I'm so sorry. I don't yeah. think it's I can just, fi- make this work I for you. I can't fix this you for can't you. Say, you can't say you are just too big of a jerk to, to, <laughs> no. to, to, to be, to be helped move. tonight. It's no. not a good move. No. It's, it's just ridiculous. Really I'm, I'm glad we talked about that. That was one of the things we wanted to cover. About I feel this. so much So better. we've talked a lot of wine today. <laughs> we've talked a lot about wine. And again, thank you. But the third element of this podcast is the most popular element, actually, is the three top picks. Yes. So we're going to transition into the three top picks. And we're not going to talk about three top wines because that would be superfluous. That's too easy. Yeah. <laughs> so we know you're a movie guy and an entertainment guy. So we're going to go three top guilty pleasure movies. Ah, okay. Yeah. So Janet asked me when we chose this category, what's that mean? To me, to me, guilty pleasure means anytime it's on, I will stop and watch it. It is not necessarily and probably not a highly critically acclaimed or uh, box office hit, but for some reason, I just like it. And so we're going to go three top guilty pleasure movies. And they don't have to be a three, two, one. And, we just, yeah, we, we just pick three. Order oh, and by the way, something. we cheat. Yeah. And we have honorable mentions. <laughs> it's our because, show. Yeah, we have we, honorable mentions. We can make up the rules. We can't yeah, make we, up. Yeah, we yeah. can't limit it to three. Do we start at the top or do we start at the bottom? Cheat. You can do whatever you want. This the, is loosely. The, yeah, this the, is the, the only the only rule is that the guest goes first. Yeah, the guest ah, gets to go good. first. So, well, so and, and then you, Keith and, will and do we'll, one. We'll, I've got we'll one. We'll make a round. So cool. you'll okay. do one. Well, I'll do them. We'll do our second and our third. So that's the way we'll do it. Well, number one's easy. Okay. It really is. Just because I would absolutely stop whatever I'm doing to watch this movie if it's on. It doesn't come on much, but that's okay because, of course, I own, you know, a, a DVD because I owned a VHS. You know, <laughs> probably owned a cassette tape of it at one point. The beta, is, Betamax. Yes, yeah, thank you. The Betamax. <laughs> the Betamax. Natural Born Killers. Um, I mean, my wife, of course, just rolls her eyes, but I have, I have a couple of buddies that if we get together, at some point it'll be like, Dude, you want to watch Natural One Killer? <laughs> it's like, well, of course I do. That I mean, is, that movie is so dark. It it's is so gr- that is gritty. It is wow. gritty. It's I, I, so funny though. Rodney Dangerfield as the you know a strangely abusive father who's then drowned in the aquarium, oh my and gosh. and uh, Juliette Lewis and and, and maybe uh, you know the, the ultimate line uh, in in the entire thing is is uh, 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 Woody Harrelson is is being asked by. Uh, 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 Robert Downey Jr., or he's asking him, meanwhile, he's, he, you know, they, they now have killed a ton of people. And they're saying, you know, so we're, you know, we're big stuff now. And, and Robert Downey Jr., who, of course, you know, plays it as an Australian, you know, TV guy. He's, you know, <laughs> he, he's like, so are we, are, are we the biggest? And he's like, oh, you big, you big. And he's like, yeah, are we, are we, are we bigger than, you know, Son of Sam? It's like, oh, yeah, crushed him on the numbers, you know. Are, are we, are we bigger than John Wayne Gacy? Oh, no, contest. And, and it's like, how about, how, how about Charlie Manson? He's like, 
Nah, now it's Manson. Woody Harrelson's communist. It's pretty hard to beat the Kang. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so dark. Oh, it and is so dark. funny. I really hope you guys don't drink a lot when you watch that movie. Because there's something about alcohol in that movie that is just, it's just wrong. I think you could, you could, you could go off the deep end. Well, yeah, that's we interesting. That, is, yeah, that has a high body count. Mine look, <laughs> mine look like sound of music compared to that. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to start at the top. That's all right. That's great. And that's the other thing about the three top picks. It's an opinion thing. So, it's a, so it's, mine is, and this one is on quite a bit. The other thing about, so my three have three things in common. I don't own copies of them, mm-hmm. although I watch them all the time. And they all have three phenomenal villains in them. Ah. So Heartbreak Ridge is one of mine. So I'm a Clint Eastwood fan anyway, not one of Clint's best movies. <laughs> No. Okay, but some great lines, and this guy that plays Everett McGill is his name plays Major Powers. Sure, yeah, and he is the villain, even though he's a, uh, you know, he's he's a Marine, he's an American, he's he plays Clint Eastwood's villain, and uh, it's just so, so many great like, just because we're holding hands, I hope that. You know, that doesn't mean we're going to be taking warm showers together. <laughs> this rubber tough guy. Oh, it's so fun. I love Heartbreak Ridge. I just, uh, yeah, and it's, you know, it's not Vietnam. It's not World War II. It's Grenada. It's Grenada. You know, their, their moment to shine Grenada. is the weekend they invade the Gra- <laughs> nice. Grenada. So, so, nice. so Heartbreak Ridge is my number one. My first one. Yeah. Well, I've got a I've got a military one too, okay. and I've kind of loved it ever since I was a kid, and I've always I've always watched it. I just I just love the Guns of Navarone. Oh, oh was, sure, was of one of my favorite. Gregory Peck oh, yeah. and uh, yeah. uh, Anthony Quinn and David Niven and David Niven is is great. You could, you're supposed to be some kind of munitions expert. You better start figuring it out because I'm ready to use them on you right now. <laughs> <laughs> But I love the guns and yeah, that's run. a good one. I thought that was a, I thought, a classic. I've watched that one a bunch. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm going to go completely uh, uh, the other direction on uh, I guess my second, and I would <laughs> gladly watch this any time. Um, and uh, again, have to have a copy because you don't run into it. But uh, Jean Cocteau was a, a, a French artist, writer, playwright, filmmaker, Beauty and the Beast, which. If, if any, you know, anybody who's seen the Disney version knows, it's basically stolen almost cell for cell yeah, from John Cocteau's It really version. is. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, they, they went ahead and just said, well, you know, let's just, the guy's dead. Who's going to know? You know, sort of, <laughs> sort of thing. It's so, it's just, a, a, you know, my wife sort of rolls her eyes at that, but at least she doesn't find me horrifying like she does when I'm getting excited about natural born killers. That would be more worrisome. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But yeah. she still is like, seriously, you want to watch that again? Huh? And I was like, it's such a great movie. It's a beautiful movie. It's really wonderful. I mean, you know, it's just, it, you know, yeah, it's just, well, it's the bomb. But Doug, I mean, the, the other reason I appreciate that movie too is it's, I think, probably one of the earliest really good adaptations of a classical yeah. story. Yes. You know, a classic tale. Yes. Brought to film. Yeah. And that isn't always done well. No. And so, um, good choice. I don't see it very often, though. No, I mean, you've got to kind of look for it, yeah. don't you? Uh, yeah. I'm, of course, I'm a, a TCM fanatic. So, yeah. Oh, you know, it's so my brother. Yeah. So is man. I just, yeah. that, I, I love TCM. That, I, it's true. And, and particularly, I love what Eddie uh, Muller does with uh, Noir Alley. With, with, his his yeah. commentary. Noir Alley. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's great. He shows great stuff, yeah. and, and it's yeah. tons of fun. So, my second one is. Die Hard. 
Okay. So that is totally, everyone's totally, Christmas movie. So, yeah. so, there, so that's that's the bonus for Die Hard is Christmas movie or true. not Christmas movie. That's very movie. true. That's the argument. But again, classic villain Hans Gruber, Alan Rickman as uh, Hans Gruber and the Asian Dawn. It's yeah. like yep. what a great and Alexander Gudinov. The the uh, the long blonde hair. Oh, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. He's a ballet dancer. He's a ballet he dancer with Baryshnikov with That's the right. Moscow Ballet. God, you're great right. Great villains and some great lines. Come out to the coast, have a good time, <laughs> spend a little time together. Yeah, I love, I love Die Hard. Yeah, I'll watch it anytime it's on. <laughs> All right, um, this is on like every week. Trading places. <laughs> with, with with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, I don't know. I just I just love that That's movie. Hilarious. You know, and you and you and Ralph Bellamy and and Don Amici. Oh, those two, right. they, they, those two, those two curmudgeons. I think make the movie. I think they are just absolute. <laughs> and I really think it's one of Eddie Murphy's better movies. Oh, I do. And he I made and, and he's made a lot first, of stuff. Yeah, and he's made a lot of stink. Don't forget. Too. Well, yeah. Aykroyd has too, but I think the two of them together, I think was. Don't forget think Jamie was, Lee Curtis. Oh yes, and Jamie Lee, of yeah. course. That's right. Of course. That's all I'll say. That's all I got to say about that. That's a good one. That's good. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I suppose if uh, that, you know, using the, the theme again of what would you stop doing, whatever you're doing, just to go, well, no, I'm, I'm going to watch this. If Young Frankenstein is on, I am going to stop whatever I'm doing. I'm sorry. Curse your eyes. Too late. Too late. Could be worse. Could be raining. That's right. Look. The violin, it's still warm. Roll in the hay. Elevate me. Now? Yes, thank you. We know all of them. We, we can love, basically do the entire show. We love Mel Brooks and we love Young Frankenstein. I am I a huge Mel Brooks fan. I was thinking, you know Mel Brooks? We forgot the I've best ever one. Have met Mel Brooks? Yeah, do you know Mel Brooks? No, I've never gotten to meet that man. Shoot, man. I'm, I'll, I will take... Any inn that I can find no, to, to have Mel to talk to Mel Brooks. Oh my God, he is he is just absolutely. And Gene Wilder was at such a level. Oh, and of course, he's yeah. one of the, he's one of the guys that created Young Frankenstein. I mean, it wasn't you know Gene wrote a lot of that stuff. And the fact that they never got to do a movie together again is a is a crime. It's yeah. a crime against humanity. How many other great movies could those two guys have have created? We forgot the best part. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yes. Oh, There's a meme. That's a great one. Janet's gonna have to fix that. We choice. just, we just spiked this Excuse thing me, off of the, of the yeah, board. Four or five quick ones and you're off for, for a smoke and brag with the boys. You keep your mouth shut, mister. I can, oh, I love him. I can fix that hump. What hump? What hump? What hump? <laughs> yeah, Feldman. Marty Feldman. My God. Fresh, oh. Freshly dead. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Abby. Abby Normal. <laughs> Abby Normal. We use that in my house all the time. Freshly What's her name, Abby? Exactly. Abby Normal. Abby Normal. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good choice, Doug. Oh, that may be the pick of the litter. Yeah, right well, yeah. So this one, uh, people, I catch a lot of grief for this, but I cannot help myself. <laughs> Anytime it's on, I will stop and watch it. Roadhouse. Oh, sure. With Patrick Swayze. Sure. It's because it's on every 15 well, it minutes. Is. It's on That's all the time, which is why I spend too much time watching TV. <laughs> the, Patrick Swayze, that hair. <laughs> the hair. Yeah. And actually, I read that an article, uh, I read a thing on it where he hated that mullet cut. Oh, seriously? And I thought it was like his kind of style at the time. Look, it seems like I've seen him 
in other pictures or movies wearing that hairstyle. It's but one of those things like finding out that Matthew McConaughey never wanted to say, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I hate that. What? He's, hey, wait, what? He's pretty much yeah, stuck with that one, I think. <laughs> he's a, he's a dad. He's not going to get away with it. So, so you, you can't got, get rid of that one. You got Patrick Swayze's hair. You got Sam Elliott and that hair. Yeah. And you got... That's right. Ben Gazzara, but you talk about villains. You put, you put, you got to put Ben Ben Gazzara in. It was one of the best villains. I mean, he is. You just another great villain, and he is a total a hole in that movie. (laughs) I mean, you know, yeah, for sure. And then you got Kelly Lynch. Oh right, and and that's all. Say more. That's all we got to say about that. (laughs) We'll just (sighs) leave it at that. So, yeah, yeah. Well, the, 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 my third one is just because it is it is one of the greatest quote machines. We've hit some of the great quote machines. We've hit some great quotes. But A League of Their Own, I still think, oh, yeah. I still sure. think is one yeah. of the great, most, That's maybe a, one of the most quoted movies next cool to, movie. next, oh, next to maybe Animal House or yeah, a, yeah. a couple of those. But it's, uh, yeah, League of Their Own is just. League of Their Own is great. But see, I, here's, here's where I don't argue with your choice. I don't consider that a guilty pleasure movie because I believe League of Their Own is a fantastic movie. No, it's a fantastic movie. A good movie. movie. I right. think all of these are really, really pretty yeah. good movies. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you yeah. want to go, you know, like Attack of the 50 Foot Woman, uh, you know, you got, you Terror got, Terror of Tiny Town. Terror of Tiny Town. I mean, you got some, you got some real stinkers. They play some on TCM sometimes and, and the ones that have like the one star, um, the ones they play really late, like on Friday or 51% Saturday. 51% uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Maybe they get 51%. Yeah. yeah. They're really, really bad. Yeah, great quotes from, uh, League of Their Own. I I raised two daughters, and I quoted that movie frequently <laughs> to them. You know, um, but and Lovitz, Lovitz is great in that movie. Oh, God. Yeah. Get these wild animals away from me! <laughs> Haven't you ever heard of a leash? Yeah, <laughs> Lovitz is amazing. There's a, there's a crazy movie, uh, a, a really very dark movie called Happiness by Todd Solons that John Lovitz has one of the great openings, and he's talking to uh, Laura Flynn Boyle of Twin Peaks fame, right? And and they're having, you know, you can tell instantly they're having the talk at 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 dinner and he says i know i know it's not ye, it's not me it's you she goes no it is you so <laughs> and that's how the movie begins you know oh this is going to go dark so fast give, give the wife a little pickle tickle yeah <laughs> go on go on go on hate it when they get attached to don't eat the grass <laughs> great movie that's great well that that's a great way to end the the episode we like that too is produced as a labor of love for the enjoyment of bon vivants everywhere to get information about our bottles and links to our guests go to our website we like that podcast.com tune in to new episodes by subscribing on apple spotify and other popular streaming apps please remember to rate review and share and be sure to follow us on instagram and facebook at We Like That Podcast. So everybody, hey, remember the numbers. One bottle, two good friends, and three top picks because we We like that that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too.